Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So, like we always do, I want to take a look at oil prices over the past few weeks. I apologize for my absence. I've been out of town a bunch and school and all of those things, so happy to be back here recording this. So, oil is currently sitting around that $61 per barrel range, and over the past few episodes, you know, oil kept on increasing and increasing over that time frame, all the way up to around $69 per barrel. Um, and we've since come down from there for a couple of reasons. Um, the big one that I've seen, um, apart from geopolitical issues, is seeing offloading of bullish bets on oil by hedge funds. Um, and the, I think that the market got a little bit optimistic about where things were heading. And yes, we have seen a lot of demand recover, but still jet fuel consumption is pretty low. Um, and with pressures coming out of Washington and really all over the world, there's kind of a lot of reasons for why that could have came down. And also, um, OPEC, you know, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room can't ignore them when talking about changes in oil prices, uh, made an announcement around two weeks ago to hold production cuts where they were. And, uh, quick reminders that those production cuts among all the countries within OPEC, um, were sitting at around seven and a half million barrels of oil, per day to hold back from the market, which is a very sizable amount. And they were doing that to try and keep oil off the market, try and rebalance that supply demand, waiting for that demand to officially come back to get better prices for their oil. And many thought that they were going to roll back these cuts as we kept on seeing oil go up and up and up and the rig counts in the U.S. kept on going up and up and up. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, before the meeting, the Saudi oil minister said to not predict the unpredictable and he was definitely right uh when he said that because everyone thought that they were going to roll back their cuts um i even expected oil prices to decline on that news whenever i saw that i was actually watching cnbc from my desk and was actually pretty shocked whenever they increase on the news and on, on the news um and i expected that them not Sorry, them roll, uh, them deciding not to roll back their cuts uh, would be a bad sign because they're just not as excited about the oil demand recovery and waiting for things to kind of get back um, to normal and to get better prices for the oil. But what I can see the argument for why oil increased on that news um, was that OPEC was continuing to remain accommodating for oil prices. And you got to think at that time, we weren't really sure what OPEC would do at their next meeting. And if they weren't buying the demand recovery then, then they probably wouldn't do it the next week. Um, and also, good public perception from OPEC, I think, certainly helped uh, them. And, you know, whatever is really going on behind the scenes, uh, I guess we'll never know. But I think that's a good sign for market participants. So now, fast forward to this past week. Uh, OPEC Plus had another meeting, and they're having meetings every week. Um, that's not usual. It just kind of became a thing during the pandemic, especially after that oil price war back in April of 2020. Um, and during this meeting, they unilaterally decided to add more than 2 million barrels per day of oil back onto the market over the next few months. So it's interesting going from them not wanting to put oil back on the market to the week later. Now they are. So what's going on there? Maybe Russia has a say in that. I don't really know. Um, again, Saudi Arabia is the leader of 
OPEC, um, but a lot of other countries also have a say in that as well. And specifically, they will be ultimately increasing their production by 350,000 barrels per day in May, the same amount in June, and then rolling into July, they will increase by another 450,000 barrels per day there as well. And then remember that Saudi Arabia made their own announcement of rolling back 1 million barrels per day of cuts, I believe it was a few months ago, um, whenever they made that announcement. So they will be also taking or putting that million barrels per day of production back onto the market um, by the end of July. So it waits to be seen kind of the specifics of that. Um, and again, this was another surprise to me and, and many in the overall market, like I mentioned just a little bit earlier in this episode, that well, why the change? Um, and, and it cr- actually increased the price of oil on that announcement. Um, and it ultimately reflected some optimism about the oil market recovery, which makes me wonder, <laughs> um, you know, how much of the news has changed. I, I saw an article the other day about um, how there's um, demand is supposed to outpace supply this year, which will be interesting. I wonder how much, you know, again, it's it's more of an art than a science. So you don't really know the exact numbers until they happen. Um, but it'll be something to watch going forward. And again, OPEC remains one of the biggest factors in where the price of oil is going. So looking at rig counts here in the U.S., as of April 1st, the rig count is sitting at 430 Rigs. So these these are the oil rigs that are actually out and producing um, oil and gas. So whenever this increases, people are going into the into the basin, such as the Permian or the Marcellus or the Bakken, even and and drilling and producing oil. And that 430 amount reflects a increase of 13 rigs from the prior from the prior week. Um, which is certainly sizable. I believe on the show we've talked about two or three rigs here, and I was trying to explain on why that mattered, even though it doesn't sound like it. Um, but that 430 uh, rig amount also is still down from by 234 from a year ago. Um, and it's important to remember that that year ago period was April 4th, 2020. So right in the midst of the pandemic when things started to kind of get locked down and before the oil prices ultimately turned negative. Um, so there's a little bit of bias in the data. And that'll be something to really watch out for going forward as we start to compare to the year ago period. So most things will probably look pretty optimistic compared to the year ago, but it's you're going to need to inch that back a little bit, back to whenever the things were normal, which is hopefully where we're, where we're heading. And the bulk of that 13 increase of rigs came from states such as Texas and New Mexico, um, which for those that don't know, that's where the Permian Basin is. And whenever people talk about oil production kind of in the news or you just hear people kind of throw it around, it's generally where they're probably talking about because it's, I guess, the most well-known one for people who are not in, you know, not in the know of, of, of the energy industry here in the U.S. So something to certainly watch out for. Um, drillers are, I'm sure, ready to go. I mean, imagine if if you couldn't make as much money over the past year now that oil prices have increased. Um, and you can just go out and drill and make money. And it's pretty hard to pretty hard to, to restrain yourself from. I don't know if I could, if it was me. Um, but <clears throat> they need to remain cautious. They need to not, you know, go to the wall with production as that wouldn't really be a good thing going forward. And I'll get, to, I'll get into that later. 
So another thing is U.S. crude oil crude oil inventories. It really reflects a, a solid uh, baseline for supply and demand here in the U.S. So for the week ended March 26th, which is actually a day after my birthday. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Um, U.S. inventories were sitting at uh, 501.8 million barrels. Um, this is a decrease by 0.9 million barrels from the week before that and also uh, reflects uh, over the five-year average of where inventories are at 6% above that. Um, inventory sitting at 6% above the usual isn't necessarily bearish or, oh, like, you know, supply is going out of hand and now that things are going to start crashing, but it's certain something to certainly watch out for and isn't really great timing as that sitting above 6% and then OPEC making that decision um, it could also be priced into the into oil right now, um, as it has declined over the past few weeks and is currently sitting around that sixty one dollar range. So something to something to keep in mind. Regardless of these things, um, you know the pandemic still remains the, the biggest thing here, and it's important to see a continued recovery in oil demand. And again, like I mentioned, um, you know gasoline demand is definitely there. Um, but jet fuel demand is not yet. I mean, I saw a map of, of international flights compared to uh, before the pandemic, and it's insane. <laughs> the little amount of, of um, airplane travel that, that's being done. Um, and again, oil is not only gasoline and jet fuel. There's so many other things that it goes into, and it really makes modern life possible. But continuing to see that recovery is also really important. Additionally, um, you can't turn on the news or read anything about seeing vaccinations uh, either increasing or decreasing or accelerating, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's really important to see those happen, increases in vaccinations in poor countries. So there's a lot of talk about getting your own country inoculated, vaccinated, whatever you want to call it. Um, but if let's just run it through an example, like if let's say the US, the EU, and China are 100% purely vaccinated. Well, what about the rest of the world who might not be? What about the variants that might come out of South Africa, like there was that one you know, about a month ago that everyone was worried about? What about that? And then it could really lead to uneven recoveries broadly. And again, that's just not good for international trade as, as the world is more connected than it ever has been before. And like I mentioned over in the rig count section, restraint from U.S. drillers would certainly be something to that to watch and, and be important going forward. Um, so yeah, just those are some things to keep in mind. Um, oil prices are sitting at reasonable prices, I would say, right now. But there's always kind of that ceiling where if they keep on going up and up and up, it would be pretty hard to, to see U.S. drillers to not start putting production back on the market, drilling new rigs, OPEC to just roll back all of their cuts, that would be something certainly to watch. So um, this past Thursday, I saw a deal get announced between Pioneer Natural Resources and Double Point Energy. For a little bit of background, Pioneer um, Natural Resources is an upstream company. So upstream means that they are focusing in exploring and producing oil um, and they make their money off of the price of oil. So oil going up, they're probably going to drill more to make more money and vice versa. Um, they really focus pretty densely in the Permian and actually have a market cap um, um, of $35.6 billion. So pretty sizable, I would say. And the energy sector, um, to many people's surprise, has been the best performing sector in the S&P 500 
year to date. And the upstream sector is really correlated with the price of oil. The others are too, and everyone has oil price, you know, volatility or, or risk. Um, but the upstream sector, it's very tied to increases and decreases in the price of oil. Um, so with the energy sector being the best performing sector, you can imagine that their um, equity or common stock prices, what you hear about whenever you think about the stock market, um, those going up and due to that rising tide, when things are looking up, oil companies want to acquire other companies so they're ready to go when good times come. They have great acreage. They have not a lot of debt. They're ready to go and drill and even borrow money and make things happen in order to you know, make their shareholders happy and generate a return and pay their employees. So um, again, they acquired Double Point Energy and Double Point Energy is a private, so not publicly held, not traded in the markets, upstream company. So again, similar similar uh, business model there. And they're also focused in the Permian with acreage around where uh, Pioneer has um, their acreage. So there's kind of Whenever I think of deals happening in the energy market, I like to think of common themes of, of why these are happening because they're kind of clustered together. So like in October, November, December, we saw a lot of all stock deals happen um, there as things were kind of started to look up and up. And now we're four, almost four, you know, almost four full months into 2021. Things are kind of changing. So the theme over the past six to nine months has been bigger oil companies like like a Conoco. Uh, or a Chevron, uh, acquiring smaller, well-run, low-debt, so pretty strong balance sheet, um, companies with sizable acreage in producing fields, ideally close to them, um, and they typically have been using their stock to purchase them, because if their stock is rising, they can re- they can raise um, not a lot of, or they can not dilute a lot of their ownership and still generate a pretty good amount of money due to that. Um, and that's been the theme because as things have changed in the energy industry and as, as there's more focus on the ESG and everything like that, uh, maintaining healthy cash and debt balances on their balance sheet, um, is really important, um, when looking at acquiring another company and looking at how the market is going to perceive, um, the acquisition. So, Back in October, Pioneer actually acquired Parsley, which the CEO of Pioneer um, is the dad to Parsley CEO, which is kind of interesting. I wonder, I don't know what that conflict is like, but um, so that that transaction is pretty similar to actually the one that we just saw on Thursday with Double Point, um, and that they're both well run, both have strong balance sheets, hold acreage in the Permian, and used. A pretty good amount of stock to make the purchase and, and the uh, the um, acquisition price of that of the uh, Pioneer Parsley one is around like seven point six billion dollars um, in the and the uh, Double Point Pioneer deal is around six billion dollars so a little bit different price ranges but still very similar but um, Parsley was uh, was a publicly traded company in Pioneer uh, sorry not Pioneer a uh, Double Point is not so kind of that premium there that they might have to pay for their shares um, to kind of acquire them. Um, so this also might reflect some renewed interest uh, for private companies getting acquired in the Permian or really other any other basin here in the U.S. So why this deal is different um, than the um, 
than the Pioneer Parsley versus the Pioneer Double Point. So there's some details here is that um, Pioneer is using 27.2 million common shares. So what their stock trades at in the market. Um, whenever you go buy a share on your Robinhood account or E-Trade or whatever, that's what I'm referring to there. And then they're also giving, um, paying $1 billion in cash and assuming $900 million of debt and liabilities. So some differences here between the, this Pioneer Double Point versus Pioneer Parsley is that the debt used in the um, Parsley transaction was much bigger. It was actually $3.1 billion in debt used to do that transaction as opposed to the $900 million in debt used for this one. But also, um, cash is king, right? So Pioneer actually used $1 billion in, in their own cash um, to make this acquisition while they didn't use cash um, back in, I guess, October, November, whenever that whenever that deal closed. Um, and it's just interesting because I think then that using cash in an acquisition wouldn't really have made sense. But now I think it makes more sense as we're kind of rolling out of this pandemic. Um, things are looking brighter and brighter. So pretty interesting. So um, you might be wondering, you know, why am I talking about um, these deals? You might not kind of have a have a kind of a pulse on what's going on within the space and um and it, it's it's I'm focusing on the change in focus for upstream oil and gas companies, and the change from where bigger companies used to acquire debt, you know, debt, heavy debt loads of of smaller producers producers to get a hold of more acres and and to continue to drill as much as possible, um, and that often. Um, that w- that story was told to investors uh, in the early 2010s, um, and ultimately ended up leading to lagging share prices. So those days are gone, and the ESG story now is too big to ignore. Um, and these oil companies, like a pioneer, um, have to be smart and creative in their acquisitions. Shareholders are just frustrated with those years of lagging returns compared to maybe if they put their money with tech companies. For example, so with energy being the best performing sector, I mean, crushing other companies like like tech companies in the S and P um, this year, and, and with us coming out of the pandemic, I kind of like to call this time frame, this time that we're in, the great reset or the great test for the upstream oil and gas, well, the energy sector, but the upstream oil and gas companies. And what I'm referring to here is that investors will want to see smart, specific acquisitions going forward, responsible drilling, and really strong balance sheets from both parties deciding to tie the knot to make the acquisition or merge with another company. Um, That is what I refer to as the Great Reset. It allowed the oil market to get crushed last year, but now that we're coming out of it and things are looking brighter and brighter, Investors will want to see that happen. And again, they'll want to see good ESG scores and all of those things. Um, Excuse me. But if we see $80 to $90 oil, which I don't really see happening, I could see that argument going way off the wayside um, over a cliff. And and we could come back to that period where we were just trying to drill as much as possible because we're making so much money with that kind of oil price. But again, that happens. People flood the market. Ultimately, demand might not match it. Things kind of hit the, you know, go go by the go down at that point, and we start to see these kind of big gyrations and I guess like boom bust cycles. Which I I if 
if the great reset, great test, uh, whatever you want to think about it as works and that goes well, I could see an extended time period to where we don't have as many wild swings in the market of sort of like uh like mania you know super super excited exuberant to sad i hate it all those things so all in all thinking about these things everything is looking up opec plus is being accommodative the u.s energy industry is truly set for growth whether it be renewables and traditional oil and gas and i want to sit there for a sec because there's a common misconception that renewables are going to totally replace traditional oil and gas in the next 10, 20, whatever you want to call it, years. Um, but that's just not the case. It's going to be an interesting energy mix. It's always going to be changing. It's kind of like the tides in the ocean. They're always moving around. Um, so that'll be something that we'll see growth from in the future as oil and gas companies get smarter with, with how they make acquisitions and how they operate. And then you also have, you know, the, the green energy SPACs and these, these green energy startups and next era. And those guys kind of make their way into making renewables a future. And I'm pro-renewables. I'm pro-renewables. I'm pro-traditional oil and gas. I think they both have a spot and they're both going to be highly in demand as we roll forward. And, you know, when looking at the horizon, we could see the pandemic ending soon. I pray that that is the case, um, which will really be good for not just oil and gas companies or, in, or renewable companies, but um, really everybody involved. So I'll drop some links in the show notes discussing these deals and those related to oil price fluctuations in the show notes. And that is all that I have for today. Thank you for tuning in and I want to wish you all a happy Easter. I'm recording this on Sunday, so I wish everyone a happy Easter um, and a great week.